What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Gene with the Changeover Podcast. Today's episode, we have a lovely guest, Sean. He is willing to come on the show and uh, share his story and um, give some good pointers and tips. So uh, take a listen and enjoy. And again, learn from our mistakes. Go ahead and show yourself. Hey, my name is uh, Sean Peavy. Uh, I'm a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. Uh, I've been out since 2013. Um, since then, I've had a myriad of different jobs going across um, those first jobs you get when you get out of the Marine Corps to professional jobs to what my now career is, which is abandoning my professional job and running around and chasing storms. So this is the random pathway that I took as I was getting out and how that transition actually happened. So let's see what all comes of this. All right. So uh, how was your lead up to getting out like a month or two out? How was your uh, how was your mindset? A month or two before getting out of the Marine Corps itself, it was we're done. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Holy shit. They're not going to tell me what the fuck I'm doing anymore. Um, to going up to the steps and taps classes, going through those, sitting down and not giving a flying fuck. Um, the Marine Corps didn't take it seriously. The instructors didn't take it seriously. The other Marines with me didn't take it seriously. Um, we were there to check a box on a checklist in order to leave. And that's truly what it was. Um, when I speak to people as they're getting out now, as they're preparing that transition and what's happening next, um, I try to encourage them to sit down and talk, um, reach out to more services and more representation uh, before you get out in general, because there's a lot of different programs, I would say through the VA, through different things um, that you can actually reach out to, the Sailors and Relief Fund. Um, all those have amazing programs to help people get out in transition. That's not just that steps and cla uh, taps, TAPS class that was just kind of there to check a box for everybody. And it goes into more detail. It gives people better ideas of what's going on. Um, job fairs are always a big thing that I always hit on with people nowadays because there are skills that you have while you're getting out that honestly, nobody ever really talks about. Nobody actually addresses them, figures out what those are. Um, those are all skills and, and different benefits you have as you're getting out and coming towards the end that you can identify and start taking a look at. But most people just say, you know, I'm getting out. I'm good. I have a plan. I know what's happening next. And steps and taps was just kind of that check in the box that nobody truly cared. And they're like, all right, you've done it. We've done everything we need to. Uh, you're now ready for the civilian world and good fucking luck. Yeah, no, I had a mass sergeant that was just hyping on us the whole time. He's like, oh, why'd you go dress like that to steps and taps? And uh, he had told us the week before, he's like, y'all better go well-dressed because there'll be recruiters there for, like, different jobs. And uh, the whole time there, the whole week, uh, not one recruiter. Not not even a Marine Corps reenlistment recruiter. No, nobody was there. It was just a dude who showed up in a tie and said, hey, get ready to start paying more taxes. So how was your prep work for the VA, getting out, going through the medical system of shenanigans that is the VA? 
Oh, sweet Jesus. Um, so the VA has improved. I'll, I will give it that. Um, it it was pretty god awful uh, in the early 2000s. It's gotten better now. Um, the first thing I can always tell people is get a representation for the VA because they know what they're doing rather than us who are just getting out and going, well, fuck it. Um, I'm going to figure this out. Please get one of the representation to go in and do that. You can get them for free at any VFW. Um, most municipalities have that person dedicated for that role. Um, it's there for a reason. Nine times out of 10, what the issues that I've seen coming out of it from my friends and what I've dealt with is everybody had that mentality while they were in that I'm not going to go to medical because I don't want this affecting what I'm doing. And when they got out, the VA claims that, well, we have no record of anything that happened to you, but you're beat to shit and broken and they're just going to deny everything. So personally for myself, I'm saying everything's been denied for me, but it is what it is. I'm still doing fine without it. It just sucks that I had to sit there and they tell me that this is non-service related because it's never been in my medical file. So uh, please, yeah. please, please go and actually get it addressed beforehand. Don't just do it on your final physical saying, oh, by the way, my knee's been fucked up for four years and I'm going to tell you now. Uh, make sure when you're coming out. When it happens or that year out, go and get it looked at, go to physical therapy, have that paper trail of this happened before you get out. The don't be a bitch syndrome is a thing in the Marine Corps. And I don't know why. It's I guess it's just that mentality of don't be a bitch, suck it up and keep going. How was setting up for the GI Bill for you? Um, so I have one of the weirdest GI bills ever. Um, part of my deal when I was getting out in general, uh, it just happened to coincide at the times in the Marine Corps. I was able to actually, um, extend my enlistment itself and I was able to sign over my GI bill to my unborn child. So my GI bill is actually in their name, uh, pending that they can use it in the future. Uh, if I have more than one child, I can split it between them, make sure that they get to go to college for a little bit on what I've done. Uh, but I did that specifically because I actually got my bachelor's degree while I was in the Marine Corps. Actually, while we were deployed, Gonzalez, uh, uh, I actually uh, did obtain my bachelor's degree while deployed. Uh, so I never actually went, never stepped foot on college campus. I actually have a degree from the University of Connecticut, um, but I got that. So when I looked at it and said, you know, I don't need to use this right now. This isn't a reason for me. Um I tried to find a way and I had it moved to my unborn child's name. So it was a lot of paperwork. It was a lot of pain in the ass. It was a lot of running around for the CEO to sign off on things, but totally worth it because in the end, uh, it's going to go to a better use than letting me go back to college. Because let's be honest, I do not need to sit in another classroom again a day in my life. Yeah, I mean, I remember me and uh, Woodley were busting your balls about it the entire time. Calling you a nerd and shit. I mean, again, that's a solid theory. That all should have been done to begin with, but. Uh, so how did you deal with the lack of structure and schedules and, you know, the overall, what I like to call the post DD-214 depression? I like how you word it in general. It's not what I would consider depression when i when i thought about it when before i got out in general um i didn't think of it as depression i thought it was depression as something that keeps you from getting out of bed every day i thought of it as something that one day it would just stop me from doing what it is i do um, i never realized that when we talk about depression it actually was 
I'm going to slow you down and it, it will slowly affect, you know, I just don't feel like going out tonight. I don't feel like making dinner tonight. So I'm just going to skip it. Um, and it just slowly starts to kind of grate away and eat at you. And that's really what the biggest challenge that I found with it was, was you're getting out and you just don't have, you know, I don't have to be at formation tomorrow morning. I don't have to be at PT, so I don't care. And I'm like, all right, you know, I can sleep in. And then it got to a point of, you know, I, I don't need to eat dinner. It's fine. Um, I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to watch TV. I'm just going to veg out. Um, and slowly it, it did start to kind of eat away into, um, I'm early for work. And I noticed, you know, I was just on time for work and then it slowly started becoming, I'm late for work. And that's really when it started to kind of set in that there actually was something wrong or it was something that's now affecting me in general of I'm missing some part of why I get up every day and what I'm doing. And that's truly where it started to kind of affect my life in general and, and where I had to find something that would fill that gap that I didn't have anymore. Um, a few different ways in general that I tackled that situation. Um, I reached out to you. I reached out to a few of my friends. I created group chats in general with Marines in general, people that were like-minded to myself and just try to remind everybody in those group chats that, you know, we're not waking up next to each other in the barracks. We're not on a deployment together. We're not here but we now have technology that we can talk to each other in real time. We can reach out, even if it's just that daily joke, uh, a meme, something on Facebook in general, um, some kind of self-deprecating humor, which is normally what my go-to is. Um, but just sitting down and actually talking to each other, nine times out of 10, it's about nothing. Sometimes it's about, hey, you know, I'm getting married. Hey, I'm getting a divorce. Hey, um, this is what's going on. A uh, huge one back in 2018. I actually got to see you for what? I think it had been four years since I had last seen you. Um, and I just happened to be in Houston. And I told you, hey, I'm in Houston. And you drove all the way out just to see me that night. Um, I dragged you out of bed. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, um, small events. But in, in the scope of what was happening in that day, huge impacts of... I'm here for some reason, but I got to take time out and I got to go to dinner with somebody that I served with, somebody that was really close to me that I still had that connection with. And it meant the world that we could just sit down and have a dinner together. And we just bullshitted, made jokes. I think we ended up getting ramen that night. And it was one of my greatest memories of that entire year because we just got to sit down and bullshit. Yeah, and you got to meet the fiance. And, and I got to meet the fiance. I mean, that was a phenomenal event for me uh, to just sit down and actually talk to everybody and and have that without everything else with it because a lot of the times that i'd seen people before that it'd been at funerals it had been at something negative had happened and this was just oh i'm here we can meet up we can still do what it is we do it might have been four years but we picked up like it had been yesterday yeah it was like what midnight close <laughs> to midnight yeah it was close to midnight when you showed up oh, <laughs> it's no 2 a.m quesadillas but you know it's oh, something <laughs> it was actually great because i actually needed that 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 same year i was uh i was pretty depressed like isabel was noting noticing that i was i was slow to get up in the mornings i would be missing out at work i'd be calling in at work and you know just not at all in it i mean and that 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 right there that that was exactly my point when when people talk about that that depression and that stress in general being out of the marine corps we thought that it might have been six months we thought that it might have been like that immediate year after 
and it didn't like it it took years i think for it to actually truly affect me to a degree that i said hey something's wrong like it had been there but it it wasn't actively affecting me for probably about two to three years after i got out and i said huh something's wrong yeah for me it was it started at six months like hey you know i'm pretty sluggish i should probably find a something to kill time with which was right around the time I, I had finished getting set up with the GI Bill and started going to school again to actually get my associates and certifications to do the exact opposite of what I used to do but you can still cook so I mean yeah now, now you can do this on top of cooking That's that was the skill trade <laughs> speaking of which you actually somewhat use your old MOS skills at times, crazy. I do use my old MOS skills. Not the uh, make shit appear part, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you actually get to use it more than I do. You, you'd be amazed, actually, that my current job, and I'm sure we can get into this later on in the podcast itself, but um, my current job, I use probably every skill I ever learned in the Marine Corps on a daily basis, which is amazing, uh, because I do get to have a very wide variety of what I get to do with now. Um, but when I did get out, honestly, I did transition and I became a accountant. Um, I had the, the usual job. I, honestly, I worked at a supermarket for a while um, just so I had money. I had to get back on my feet and figure something out. Um, it took me about a year and a half and I got um, a career job becoming an accountant, um, sitting down, doing a lot of different things. Um, and it was actually one of my favorite jobs in general of, of sitting down and kind of having fun with different things. But as I progressed through things, I realized that there's a lot more skills that kind of transitioned over that I had no idea might have actually been useful. Like making random shit appear. That's always just fucking amazing to me. <laughs> the the PV things have just continued. They they never went away. It's just, what is he doing? PV things. Don't ask questions. Plausible deniability is your friend. I use that line on a daily basis to this day. Plausible deniability, gentlemen. You're just going to let this one go. Now, on to the job thing. I mean, how was writing a resume for you? Because uh, you can't put PV things on a resume. Make it... PV things on a resume sounds slightly weird. So um, depending on what it is your job field is. Um, so... Everybody's aware. Um, I did work in a supermarket for about a year and a half. I did have just common jobs in general that weren't I, what I consider to be the um, professional career path jobs that I had in the later career itself. Um, and sitting down, and I used the resume that we built in, in our steps and taps class, and I realized that it really didn't actually explain anything. Um, so I went online and I actually found a military skills translator and you can actually type in your MOS to this translator itself and it will actually run down exactly what it is. You know, this is what your job did and it'll explain it in terms of different career paths. So my job was a 3043, I was supplying logistics. Um, so it would actually go through and it would actually explain, you know, you ordered gear, you actually warehoused, you had a controlled system that you used, you audited things, you, and it ran down all the different small, minute details of my job that I had no idea about. And it actually put it into common language that'll actually affect whatever career path I'm trying to go down. 
Um, the second thing that I did, which is something I really encourage people to do when they're starting to change their career trajectories, is go on Indeed and go on LinkedIn. And sometimes, especially on LinkedIn, you can really find um, an actual resume writer and you can pay them a nominal fee and they'll sit down and they'll actually professionally write your resume for you. They'll sit down and have an interview with you, find out exactly what it is you do, what your skills are, what you like to do. Um, and they'll professionally write a resume for you. And when you look at it in the end, you go, holy shit, I do all this, but it'll be in a context that you never realized before. And you'll go, oh, holy fuck, I do this. And putting that out there when you're trying to change your career path or you're trying to get that next level promotion, that job, um, that truly kind of puts you in a different light. And when you're going to those different um, interviews and whatnot with companies, reading that resume and before you walk in and knowing what's on that and going, I did do this, they want to meet with me because I've done all of this is an amazing thing. Uh, and it was really powerful to kind of change that, you know, I'm just a dumb Marine. I'm just some dumb loggy in general. Um, I work at a supermarket stocking shelves and ordering stuff to, um, holy shit, I'm actually an accountant at a DOD subcontractor that makes some insane gear that I never would have known beforehand. And I don't technically understand now, but I know the finances of it. Yeah, I, I still don't know how you would uh, cheese PV things, a tactical acquirement of items that magically appear on a tarmac. Uh, resourceful reallocation of assets and gear in order to meet the mission requirements, I believe is actually what is on my resume right now. Um, <laughs> it's still there. I refuse to remove it because PV things is too much fun in order to remove from my resume. <laughs> All right. And uh, it moves on to uh, how did you find a good job? Like, how was the job search and how did you use manage to use the veteran status? Because I know here in Texas, you can put veteran on your resume and boom, you're on the top of the stack. Yeah. So from Connecticut, everybody, I'm sorry. I'm from that state that everybody thinks invented taxes. We didn't. We just made them famous. Um, but. I use veteran status. I'm saying I, I'm very against using veteran anything because, again, I, I chose to serve. I volunteered to serve. I don't think I should get anything for it. Uh, when it comes to jobs, I do put it on there because it does come with a lot of soft skills that HR managers actually do look for. When you put veteran on your resume, it does matter to that HR uh, representative that's reading it. And they go, OK, this person knows how to work as a team. This person knows how to get a job done. They can take direction. They can also lead if we need them to. Like, it does actually matter to HR. So please, please, please always put veteran on there. Um, when I was going through and I actually got different jobs in general, um, one of my favorite jobs in general that I got was I became the accountant for this DOD firm. And I ended up becoming the accounting manager for this DOD firm. Now, I absolutely loved it because it was a small company. Um, and one of the things that I loved the most about it was I never had a common day. It was never the same day twice. Um, I died laughing because the forklift operators for this company of 75 people, uh, the four forklift operators was the IT manager, the HR manager, the accounting manager, and the owner of the company. I don't think you can find another company that would have had those four people running a forklift, but we did, uh, and it worked. Go get IT. We need to run a forklift. That, that, it never added up to me, and I died laughing. Um, 
but it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. We never had a common day. It was never the same day over and over again. Um, I had some personal things happen in my life where I needed to take a step back. So I ended up leaving that company at a point in time and I ended up doing a lot of contracting work. So I had flexibility for my family. Um, when I did that, the issue with that came that I was doing a lot of uh, corporate accounting work that, that I found out very quickly is it's Groundhog Day. The fourth Monday of every month, I'm going to do this. The third Monday, I'm going to do this. The, and it was a really big repetition of every day I'm going to come in and do the same thing I did last month again and again. And I realized at that moment that I absolutely hated that job. Um, myself, I get bored when I do those types of things. I get really bored repeating the same tasks over and over again. I absolutely loved when I switched career paths and I did something completely different that would never again match up for it. And now the job that I'm doing, um, there's no such thing as a normal day. I mean, it changes literally by the hour. I'm pretty sure I don't even have a job description anymore. They just threw it out the window and said, yeah, you're that guy in New England. Figure it the fuck out, which I love to do. But that was one of the things when you are looking at jobs in general, you have to sit down and figure out what are your priorities? Do you want the stability of a corporate job where you're going to go in every day and do the same thing over and over again, but it pays and it makes sure your family's taken care of? Uh, do you want a job that is more loose based and you might be looking for a smaller company that's not as matured yet that doesn't have those processes and you can do a jack of all trades type job are you looking for a job that you can hyper focus and you're only going to do one or two things but you're going to be a rock star at those one or two things um when i sit down and i talk to my friends about it that's really what i try to focus on and i try to talk to them about of what is it you want out of this job not what job do you want because when you start looking at of what you're going to get back from this job, because you're going to get paid. That's great. Everybody gets paid. But if you're not happy and you're not enjoying it and what that job is giving you isn't fulfilling you. Then why do you get up in the morning? Yeah, your, your days are at that job are numbered. You're going to get a job and you're going to think it's the greatest job in the world. And you're going to be there two months and you're going to start looking for another job because it doesn't fit. So really sitting down and assessing what is it you want out of a job really does set you up. Um, a big thing that I had was. HR representative would always kind of ask you, you know, do you have any questions for me? And I never really had them for a while until I realized that, that I hate repetition. I hate doing the same thing day in and day out. So I start asking them, you know, what does your culture look like? What does the, the situation look like? Um, you know, do you cross train? Do you, how do you have development in your company? Those different types of things. So you're not just stagnant and doing what you're doing. That was important to me. And when you start kind of addressing what is it that's important to each of us, that really does become a more dynamic interview process. And you can talk to those HR representatives about what it is you want. And if that company doesn't fit, you can gladly tell them, hey, I'm sorry, but this company doesn't fit what it is I'm looking for right now. Yeah, I, yeah, mean, I mean, and, and going, on, going to on to what you do now, now a, lot of a lot of us don't have, don't access, have access to an, to an HR, HR department, department immediately, immediately right there. Right there. There's like, there's like a couple hoops you have to jump through. Like for me, my company is out in the middle of freaking nowhere in Denmark. So, uh, yeah. So my, my HR for my, my current job actually is in Los Angeles. Um, I'm in Connecticut. I don't talk to them. I, my next closest uh, coworker is in New Jersey. Oh, that's fun. It's always but, great. Every, everybody's remote. It's perfect. Uh, 
But you're like right there though. It's New Jersey. It's, it's New like Jersey. me saying, "I'm here in Houston, and my ne- nearest coworker is in El Paso." That's a whole country apart. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty sure actually Houston and El Paso might be cl- uh, farther away than me to New Jersey. I'm not gonna lie. That actually might be a bad representation. <laughs> it's a whole country away, man. It's like a 24-hour drive just to get there. <laughs> New York City is between me and them, and I, I ain't going through New York City. It's not going to happen. Fuck that place. Oh, um, so right now, the, the company that I work for is actually called Team Rubicon. Um, we are a um, veteran-founded disaster relief organization. We actually go out in the aftermath of natural disasters, and we help those homeowners get back on their feet and back to ground zero after those hurricanes, those tornadoes, floods, um, that come through and exactly just decimate somebody's life. We come back in, we try to get them back on their feet as far as getting their home habitable again, about getting them whatever their debris management might be, trees down in their yard, um, a house next door fell through, so now they can't even get into their house. Um, Just getting people back to habitable and being able to take care of themselves again. And again, this organization is a above 115,000 individuals in it right now. Um, I believe there are about 186 paid employees right now. Um, I happen to be one of the luckiest people on the planet that I get to be one of those paid employees. Um, I'm actually the um, Northern Northeast Territory uh, Geographic Associate. So I just sit down and I take care of all of my volunteers that are out in New England pretty much. And whatever they have questions on, if they want to deploy, they want to go out and help a community, um, like I said earlier in this conversation, I mean, I, I just gotten back from Louisiana after uh, Hurricane Laura, Sally, Delta, and now Zeta have hit Louisiana. Uh, sweet Jesus. Back, I spent a week out there with them um, since COVID-19 has actually happened. Um, I've been to Tennessee, Virginia, Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia, Texas and Louisiana, all doing response operations to help homeowners get back on their feet and helping people in the aftermath of different natural disasters. Um, I absolutely love what I'm doing. I never have a normal day. It's always, hey, can you figure this out? Hey, can you go out and do this? Um, I found this organization in general back in uh, 2014, right after I got out. This has been a major part of my transition of taking that barracks mentality and sitting down and having a beer after work or just bullshitting during work of holy shit, this sucks and embracing the suck with people with me. Um, I found out in this organization that we'll sit down after a day is done and we might've been ripping out drywall. We might've been underneath a house, ripping out insulation. We might've been running chainsaws, um, trying to get trees that are down in front of yards and roads and clear different areas. And we'll just sit down after the day is done with a beer and just bullshit. And we might not talk about anything, and we might talk about what happened to them in 2007 in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, we might talk about Vietnam. We might talk about what it was like for the Desert Storm person sitting next to me and the operation during Freedom from 2003 that's sitting next to me. And I got somebody who just got out in 2018 going, hey, there's nothing like my deployment to Afghanistan. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And it, it's always an interesting situation to kind of sit down and hear what stories come. But it's always fun. People from across the country show up. Um, one of my favorite memories is in 2019, I actually got to go to the Bahamas uh, after Hurricane Dorian came and decimated the Bahamas. 
and I had 43 people on the island with me. Of 43 people on the island, I think 37 of them, it was their first ever event with Team Rubicon. They had no idea what the hell they were getting into. They had no idea who they were going with. They had no idea where the fuck they were going. And these people got in a plane, left their homes, their family, their friends, their jobs, to just come out and help people that they've never met before a day in their lives, and most likely will never meet again a day in their lives. But they just know those people needed help, so they came out. So it's always fun to kind of watch the political, um, the socioeconomic of somebody might have money, somebody might not have money, um, gay, straight, white, black, Hispanic, uh, Canadian, which we still make fun of them, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, just coming out there to help people. And it's amazing to kind of have that mentality of I truly feel like when I sit there with them that I'm back in the Marine Corps where I don't give a flying fuck if you're white black hispanic um are you coming from a different unit are you coming from the ground side of the air side whatever's going on fuck it you're a marine we're gonna sit down we're gonna have a beer we're gonna laugh or make fun of each other and i truly get that with them and having that mentality and camaraderie at the end of the day was one of the big things that i noticed when i first joined and why i still stay with them um i was on a response operation back in 2018 and they go hey um we need somebody who knows logistics Hey, PV, you said your job was logistics in the Marine Corps, right? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, cool, congratulations. You're a logistics section chief. Possibly a bad idea. The fuck does logistics section (laughs) chief do? Um, And they're like, well, you keep track of the gear. You make sure we have food and you make sure we have a place to stay. And I'm like, oh, I can make that happen. Hold on a second. And all of a sudden they started having things magically appear and showing up and an unmarked van showed up and they just like opened the door on the side of the road and looked at somebody and said, Hey, are you team Rubicon? They said, yes. And they dropped cases of beer and they drove away. And they're like, uh, Hey PV, this, this van just dropped off beer. What, what's going on? I'm like, PV things. Ask no questions. PV things. It's okay. Here's the tent. <laughs> don't, don't, ask don't worry about it. <laughs> so it's been really fun. I'll say I get to use those random things that I never thought I'd use again a day in my life, but they just kind of magically pop up. Um, it's useful. Conflict resolution, sitting down. Um, I'll be the first one to admit this. I was the god-awful worst Marine you'll ever meet a day in your life. But goddamn, I was a good NCO. I will take care of my people, and I give no fucks. I will make sure that they're taken care of at the end of the day. But I was a horrible Marine because I would ask questions. I would find out why the fuck we're doing something stupid because if it makes no sense, I fucking hate it. But I would take care of my people, and I get to do that every day now, and I fucking love my job for that. Yeah, that's why we that's always, why always ask, ask, why did they why make did you they leadership? leadership? It's, it's a bad it's idea. idea. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Let's be completely honest. <laughs> how the hell did he last this? How did he get a good cookie? Like, everybody wants to know how I got a good cookie at the end of the day. I skated that hard that they couldn't prove it till after the three-year mark. So, so, talking about volunteering with Team Rubicon, how does one go about that? All right, so all you really have to do is go to teamrubiconusa.org, and everything is on there that you would need. You can sign up, and you can have a gray shirt, and that's amazing. By all means, please go ahead and sign up, become a gray shirt, reach out to your local uh, leadership. There's local leadership across the country that can help you with that. At the same time, there is our mission statement explaining what it is we do. Um, There are stories behind exactly what we've done in the past. You can see all the different operations we've done in all of our history since 2010. 
Uh, you can see if we've done local operations to your area. Uh, one of our major responses that we've ever done in our entire history has been uh, 2017, where we re uh, responded to Hurricane Harvey down in Houston. Um, we've done a bunch of different ones now, uh, Panama, uh, Florida, uh, North Carolina, we were in Fayetteville. Um, I mean, I think we did in 2019, it was Heartlander, which was the entire Midwest. Uh, everything flooded in the Midwest. And we were there in, I think, seven to eight different states with volunteers flying across the country to come and help. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people can't join Team Rubicon and disappear for a week at a time. And we are very well aware of that. So I always try to explain to people that you don't have to give up a week of your life. Uh, you don't have to do that in general. You can sign up. Um, when I first signed up, I didn't have time. I didn't have PTO in order to go and deploy for a week. What I could do is I could do weekend trainings and I can do a weekend event and I can just have that camaraderie and meet these people and hang out with people that are like minded in my area. There might be a training. There might be a social. There might just be a, a, a gathering where people just hang out and just shoot the shit at a coffee shop because, you know what, that's what they want to do. All those things are acceptable. The entire point behind Team Rubicon is to help people on their worst day and to help veterans transition into something new and something different and give them that situation in that environment in order to sit down and talk and find people that are like-minded. Um, something major that we've noticed is it's not just veterans. Um, since I joined in 2014, it was about 90% veterans back then. I think it's about 70 to 75% uh, now. We're seeing more and more first responders, police officers, EMTs, firefighters, emergency managers um, joining specifically because it's what they do. Um, so I always laugh. I have done more ICS and I've done more uh, hazardous disaster events than most emergency managers will ever do in their entire lives. And that's because you might only have one event in your entire life as an emergency manager. And I go to probably five or six a year. Um, it's fun. We absolutely love doing it. But some of the best things I've noticed is I've had school teachers join who've never thought that they would join the military. They never thought they'd be a part of that kind of culture and they get welcomed in because like I said before, if you're willing to go across the country, you're willing to go out and hang out with these people and just help somebody on their worst day, you're welcome with team Rubicon and you can come out and do whatever it is you want. My dad, who's not a veteran or anything else has now joined TR because he's like, cool, I have time. I'll gladly go out and help people. You can do that by a single day. You can do that for a week long deployment. Hell, if, if, if you got the time, man, they'll send you somewhere for a month and a half. Trust me. <laughs> you need something to do, they'll send you somewhere. That's that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, moving on moving with on this, with this uh, the uh, current state, state of the, state world. Of the world. Oh, dear Lord. COVID. 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 How have you How been dealing with it? With it? <sighs> <laughs> One day at a time, beer in hand? Um... So I am that person who I had no idea COVID was going on, or this is, I shouldn't say COVID. Uh, I had no idea that there was a global pandemic going on for the first three weeks this pandemic was happening for the United States. Um, so I was on what Team Rubicon calls their incident management team, where my job was to go out and mentor volunteers on how to conduct and how to run response operations. Um, I got a phone call on uh, March, uh, March 2nd, um, saying, hey, we need you in Tennessee. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll book a flight. I'll be in Tennessee. And they're like, no, I'm sorry. Flights aren't authorized. You got to drive. Cool. 
Didn't think twice of it. Didn't even think to ask, hey, why aren't we flying me there? It's a 17 and a half hour drive. I said, fine, not a big deal. I got in my car and I started driving. Um, I was down in Tennessee. I was working in the emergency operations center. I was in their town. I was staying at a church there on cots and, and the church was cooking for us. It never even dawned on me that COVID was a thing or there was a global pandemic. My wife was texting me going, you know, hey, uh, this is happening. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not a global pandemic. You're overreacting. It's fine. Surprise. Um, yeah. Then we changed the channel after like week three. We're like, all right, guys, the tornadoes are gone. This community is back on its feet. All right. We, we can take a breath. And all of a sudden we flip the channel. We're like, oh, holy shit. There's a global pandemic going on, guys. Um, we had no idea. We were idiots. Um, since then, um, I've had friends and myself included. Um, I had friends that actually went to New York City in April during the height of uh, the pandemic uh, to help the emergency operations center. Um, I went out there to check on them, make sure they were okay. I wanted to make sure that they were indeed okay. They kept telling me on the phone and on conversations, yeah, I'm good, don't worry about it. I needed to lay eyes on them because they're important to me. I wanted to make sure that they were taking care of themselves and they, if they needed anything, I was there. Um, I've had friends since then where I've done response operations and made sure that we were physically distancing from each other. We were sanitizing. We were making sure we were limiting all of our exposures uh, the best we could. That's amazing. I've had friends that spent four and a half months in Las Vegas um, doing planning and support for an isolation shelter for the homeless. And that was their job for four and a half months is making sure that those people had a safe place to self-quarantine and physical distance from other people to make sure that the pandemic didn't continue and didn't spread farther than it needed to. Um, I got a phone call. I was in uh, an amazing named town, Frackville, Pennsylvania, uh, in June, um, helping out a community there from a flood. Uh, and I got a phone call. Hey, congratulations. You've been appointed as the incident commander in West Virginia. What? They're like, drive to West Virginia. Oh, okay. I'll, I'm going to drive to West Virginia, and there's an op there. Got it. Uh, so I went to West Virginia, and, and on the first day, I went in to meet the emergency manager, and the emergency manager pulls me in his office and takes his mask off and goes to shake my hand and goes, don't worry, the uh, the corona can't get us in here. That's uh, very intelligent. I'm sorry, sir. Um, what? <laughs> the, 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 it, it don't work that way <laughs> so i've got to see this uh from every side in general um i've been very lucky that i actually do work from home so i can stay at home if i need to i've made sure that i've gotten somewhere around 39 different covid19 tests and i make sure i'm negative each time um i sanitize regularly i make sure i physical distance the best i can um it's become that new norm that I absolutely hate saying because this truly has been. Um, but it really hit home to me back in April because I went to check on that team in New York City and I drove into New York City and there was not a single car on the road with me. I drove through New York City, which I've never done it. And I probably never will ever do again a day in my life that I could drive through with no traffic. And I walked the streets and there was nobody on the street with me. The first time I saw somebody on the street with me, they were wearing a full military style gas mask. And I was like, what the fuck is happening here? And it truly looked like a war zone that there was just nobody there. And it, it still reminds me to this day that this is a serious event. This is 
history in the making that we will be telling generations after us what happened in 2020. Um, so I pray to God you all have scotch and bourbon on hand for that event when it happens. When your grandkids ask you about it, I can't wait to laugh and go, well, about that. Um, but it, it truly is a, a odd experience to sit down and look at and have that firsthand knowledge of what's going on across the country, seeing it in Houston, seeing it in New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, uh, Washington, D.C. When I flew down there and I was talking to those people, like it truly is across the country and it's there and it's something real that we can't actually affect ourselves, but we can be a small piece of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't be don't stupid. Be stu- <laughs> let's so let's be honest. Know. We're all gonna be stupid. Selectively choose how you be stupid. Yeah. So, uh, time to close this out. And anything you want to give these uh, advice-wise that you wish you would have gotten before you got out. Yeah, I'll say one of the major things that I've taken, so I've taken a lot of the personality assessments. I've taken a lot of these different um, strength finders and skills. Invest some time in yourself. Sit down. Take some of these skill finders, these strength finders and and Myers-Briggs personality assessments and figure out why it is you do the things you do and why you make the decisions you make. I promise you it'll help you in the long run trying to understand why you make these decisions and how your brain works and processes information is one of the most vital things I've ever done in my entire life because I can now start to actually think I did this for this reason. Um, For the longest time, I did not know why I was the biggest pain in the ass in my entire unit to my staff and COs. I truly didn't. I just knew that I had to take care of my junior Marines and that was my job. Um, I've taken some of these personality assessments now and it sat down and it's had me actually look at myself in a different lens and go, oh, I did that for X, Y, and Z. There was a thought pattern behind it. I just glazed over that thought process because it was second nature to me. Um, When you start to actually realize those things and sit down and do that, you can start looking at how you can interact with people around you. And that truly does bring that emotional intelligence level up and you can start to kind of sit down and make sure that you're articulating yourself better and you're making sure that you're explaining yourself in a way that somebody else can understand. Um, And that is a huge piece of it. When you're starting to look at management jobs, you're starting to look at kind of working your way up the ladder for different things. When you start to address the situations in different mannerisms like that, trust me, it'll, it'll matter. It makes a big difference to people when you're talking to them. My biggest advice is go and take some of these strength finders, take some of these personality assessments and understand why it is you do the things you do so that way you can control what it is you're going to do next yeah and uh i'll throw this in there for everybody because i know you'll agree with me on this one don't be a bitch and find some help seriously um just because you think that i don't need help or i haven't in the past doesn't mean that it will not help you now um i've gone and gotten help Uh, It took the fact that one of my friend's wife was a therapist and she impromptu sat down with me one day and I just thought Kevin was running late and it wasn't the case. She actually set it up that Kevin was going to go to the store and do something. So she had time to sit down and talk to me and start addressing different things with me that she noticed. And I'm eternally grateful 
and it has changed how I view things because it actually allows me to understand what's going on and get that help that I need. Please do not be ashamed. Don't feel bad that you need help. One of the strongest things you can do is admit it and say, you know what, this is what I need to do in order to keep moving or in order to be there for my loved ones, my family, and what comes next. And I do deserve what comes next. So please, please, please go out and get help. Don't be the bitch that says, I got it on my own because I've watched too many of those friends. I've gone to too many different funerals now because somebody said they had it and they didn't reach out in time and it was just too late in order to save that person. Yeah, so the only people we're going to call bitches is the ones that don't reach out. I will go to your funeral and call you out in a eulogy calling you a bitch because of this. Trust me, we'll do it and we'll have quesadillas afterwards. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for listening. That was Sean sharing his story. Thank you for taking your time out of your day, bro. Uh, I know you have a busy one, usually. So, thanks for listening. Uh, links for Team Rubicon and our Facebook page and our email will be in the description. Don't be afraid. Shoot us an email. We'll be. I'm willing to talk to you and uh, have you on the show and share your story. Thanks again for listening. You guys have a nice one. <laughs>